Welcome to She Said, LUK's first ever podcast series. Broadcasting from the LUK fashion cupboard. I'm Elle's deputy editor and I wrote the Superwoman Syndrome piece in the January issue of Elle. Hi, I'm Sophie Berezina. I'm Elle's beauty director and I read the Superwoman Syndrome piece and <laughs> I loved Sophie. it. One reader. <laughs> awesome. And I'm Lena De Kasparis. I'm the culture director at Elle. I'm Kenya Hunt, Elle's fashion features director. And so we're joined by Anne Friedman who is in LA. She, is, she writes for New York Magazine and she has a popular podcast called Call Your Girlfriend, which we all love and listen to. Hi, Anne. Hello. Why don't we just start with the term superwoman syndrome itself? It seemed like a good way of summing up this sense that I'm really getting among my friends and colleagues that there's a real emphasis on achieving in every single aspect of our lives at the moment as women. This is the new having it all. It used to be women could have it all, they could have kids and they could work but I feel like we've moved on from that now, we've accepted that that's okay and that happens and now we want to do it all and that is the new challenge for young women today. In my piece, I talk about how I exist in my own personal time zone, which it sounds completely bonkers to say it, but I basically set my alarm clock and my watch to 11 minutes ahead of what the normal time is. It's this idea that you wake up and you're already on the front foot. Can I ask why 11 minutes? Because 10 just felt too basic, too obvious. I wanted to like, you know. I do seven minutes. Do you? Do you really? Mm. Something about the odd number there. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's even like competitive numbering. I know, I suddenly was like very upset that you did 11 and that I only did seven. Sophie. Um, I, I didn't particularly think that I had superwoman syndrome until I read your piece and I could recognize elements of my behavior in there, but I think I'm probably more of a reluctant superwoman. So Sophie's being very modest here, and what she's not saying <laughs> is that she's not only um, an incredible beauty director of Elle magazine, but she has also, in her own spare time, launched her own candle brand, which is uh, stocked exclusively at Liberties and is this whole <laughs> business. So she's actually an entrepreneur. I'm a beauty director slash Chandler. <laughs> Chandler, is that the official, that name the official name for a candle maker? Lena, what about you? So I think I'm more of a maybe social superwoman. I mean, I quite often have three dinners. Um, you know, I'll kind of come out of work, I'll go to one thing, just have a drink at that thing, then go on to a second where I'll probably just have main course and catch up with those people. By now it'll be about 9.30 and then I'll hop over to somewhere else and try and do something. And what's your motivation for wanting to do that? Well, partly because I think I I just feel I don't like letting people down. I'm very bad at saying no. And what about you? Well, it's interesting because as a journalist in Los Angeles, my peers in New York um, and in London are constantly asking what life is like on the far side of the earth and why I would choose to live <laughs> and work here. And I think for perhaps for women who are part of the film and entertainment industry here, they exhibit a little bit of a professional superwoman syndrome. But for me, being uh, three hours behind New York and, I mean, how many, seven am I behind London? Uh, it sort of it negates the whole setting your own clock. I mean, you can't even hope to compete. You have to wake up on your own schedule. So I think... Um, 
I, I don't know. I find that living in California subdues my natural superwoman syndrome just a little bit. And that's one thing that I like about it. Um, but, but certainly this idea that, um, you know, am I, am I checking all of these boxes, not just in order to compete with other women, but, um, because that's, that's not how I feel about it either, but because I think I always have the rosiest possible view of every opportunity, you know, when I'm presented with like an opportunity, excuse me, to go like, I don't know, on a, on a short trip with a friend when I really am overworked and I shouldn't be packing something else into my schedule. I just think, well, what if this is just, uh, you know, this life-changing experience that I couldn't possibly have any other way? Um, or, you know, same goes for maybe, I, I don't go to three dinners in an evening, but I can I can certainly see how I would justify that to myself by saying, oh yeah, certainly, like that, that third dinner is the one where I'm going to meet the next really interesting uh, subject that I'm going to write an article about and what if I didn't go um, so I think that's a part of it it's not just a reluctance to say no because I do say no it's it's that I I always want to find a reason to say yes Kenya what about you I actually quoted you in the piece under a under a pseudonym and the, so I'm quoted in the piece because I used my maternity leave to do a graduate course at Oxford generations ago it was sort of something that you kind of looked down on or might be embarrassed about if you had several jobs at once but now it's something that's celebrated and encouraged the beauty of the internet right now is that it does feel like the the wild wild west so to speak like you really can just go and start an e-commerce business like i mean you could do anything it just sort of opens up a new world of possibility you know it just makes you think that there are different things possible rather than just sort of staying in the same career or in the same job for like 10 or 20 years. I wonder if this whole thing is a bit of a sign of the times because, you know, I suppose the recession has affected everyone where we understood that we didn't have as much job security as we, you know, as we hoped. So maybe there's an element of fear that we need to have a backup plan. And also I think we're just so hyper-stimulated all the time because, I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to the whole social media aspect, but that I feel is where the competitiveness comes from. You don't want to go to work on Monday and not have anything A, to talk about, but B, to kind of show off about on Instagram. We just before this podcast watched one of my favorite ever Portlandia um, sketch shows called Have You Read It? I don't know if you've seen it, Anne. <laughs> I have seen it, I have seen it. And uh, they get into this kind of ridiculous back and forth about trying to up each other on what they've read um, and it, it's hilarious and so, so true and relatable for people, particularly in, in the magazine business. You come in on a Monday after reading um, the papers at the weekend and it's like, oh, did you read so-and-so's piece about this? Yeah, I read it and I thought this. Did you read this person's piece about this? Yeah, I read that. I didn't like it. And it's like a constant kind of... One-upmanship. Yeah, one-upmanship. This is something that I've thought about a lot lately that goes to the point about um, are you are you doing things because you want to have something interesting to talk about in the office or to put mm. on Instagram versus are you doing it because it's truly, you know, comes from a desire within you to express something or to, to try something out. And I, I the test that I apply sometimes is do I want to do this if I don't talk about it with anyone? Maybe I can, you know, write about it in my journal or something and think about it, obviously. But I'm, I'm not going to, like, you know, 
show up with a friend and say, have you seen the whole season of whatever on Netflix already? I'm just going to watch it and absorb it and think about it. Or what if I did this little, what if I did some Shibori indigo dyeing because you guys, of course, eye roll. This is something that I did with one weekend day in my life. But what if I couldn't Instagram the beautiful photos of what I, what I dyed? Would I still want to do it? Um, and I think that that maybe is an interesting test. I have, I have one night a week that I schedule where I'm not allowed to make any social plans, um, where I just stay in my own house. And sometimes I watch TV or like read a book or I don't know, but it's non-time. It's like scheduled. I'm not doing anything interesting time. I mm. like that idea. I, mean, I like that yeah, idea. You know, we couldn't see Jackie Kennedy's Instagram, right? Like there was mm. the sense of, okay, a paparazzi, like, you know, photo shows her being fabulous and seeming to like, you know, have it all. But, but there was a recognition like, okay, well, Jackie Kennedy is rich and her life is real different from mine. You know, there is, there is an illusion when you experience a chunk of your celebrity news via Instagram as opposed to, you know, reading reports in like the tabloid press or when you see your friends doing things um, in this real kind of seamless, you know, check your phone in between going about your own day kind of way that I, I think has to have a cumulative effect on what, whether you feel you're using your time well or effectively. And I think as well there's this sense that pop culture is a kind of currency with which we add value to ourselves and our social interactions. When I would say, for example, go to a dinner party and be able to engage with someone and have a shared knowledge of all the new buzzy shows that everyone's talking about, that for me becomes a kind of currency and it has a value. And I would feel like if I didn't have that, that I would maybe be less of an interesting person and I would be of less value in a social scenario. listening to She Said, a podcast from LUK, broadcasting from the LUK fashion cupboard. Jean-Paul Sartre said that we fill our lives with all of these projects and purposes to detract from the bleak reality that we're all just going to die. Hearing you talk about the Sartre thing makes me think about the observation that this is now um, something that happens among uh, women who do not have children as opposed to something that is more like a superwoman mom syndrome. And uh, maybe it's a result of having read article after article about how difficult it is to balance uh, being a good mother with having all of these other things you want. And the, the there's sort of, I don't know, maybe it's a deeply deep-seated deep feeling that if you can't manage all of this when it's just you, um, then how are you ever going to continue to do it when you have children? Like, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, really excelling on a test before you get to the main event or something like that. Not that every woman's life is oriented around what happens if and when she has kids, but that is, I think it's, it's something that's been portrayed to me as a little bit of a death in terms of things that I do for myself, um, that that's what having children would present. I totally relate to that. For me, I feel like I'm in this stage of my life where I have in my head that I am going to have kids one day. And until that day comes, I better do every single thing that I can possibly do that I may not be able to do when I do have kids. I mean, around this table right now, um, we have three women who don't currently have kids and we have one who does. And I think you don't have kids, is that right? I do not. Yeah, so um, Kenya may be representing the the superwoman mother in the room. So I had my son Cosmo, and then I almost felt like that 
superwoman quality, I don't know, it just kind of like increased when I had him because I wanted to do more for him. And so I wanted to just like maximize like my experiences work-wise for him. Like I just felt like I wanted to be the best that I could be for this little human being that I was raising. But on the other hand, there's a part of me that just wants to be basic. Like I'm, the reason why I'm saying that is because it's having a child really puts life in perspective and it real, makes you realize the power in being good enough. As I get older, the appeal of like a dark room on my own is definitely getting more tempting. <laughs> you know you'd be in that dark room though, like Googling. Of like, course. Books about dark rooms or something. <laughs> yeah. you know, you would just never and then I would meet with about 40 people and tell them all about my dark room experience. <laughs> yeah. For my piece, I um, challenged myself to... I decided to just lie down and just chill out and just start <laughs> saying no to a few more things or yes to a few more bad things and just kind of see how I, ha- how I felt at the end of a week. Um, and I, I just kind of had fun. I went out drinking on a Thursday night. I ended up breaking into the um, sky garden at the top of the shard with a friend. I ate breakfast for dinner. I did all of this stuff that probably to any more normal person sounds just like a fun average week. But for me, it was kind of a big deal because I was ostensibly letting myself go. And at the end of it, you know, I felt fine. I didn't feel like I'd gone off the rails. The thing for me, and I feel like it's for all of us around this table today, is we're all pretty happy and we all quite enjoy our life how it is. And yeah, it is a bit, you know, full on and we do all of these things and we need to maybe learn how to relax. But this is all like positive stuff we're filling our lives with. We're not going out and getting wasted and taking drugs. We're going out and going to art exhibitions and reading yeah it's like taking advantage of like what's around you you know taking advantage and like just maximizing life really Mm -hmm. I like to look at it as like exercising a muscle like for instance when I went to graduate school I was just so happy to be around like new people talking about like fresh subject matter and like new things and like I felt like I was really exercising my mind in a way that I wasn't necessarily before I don't necessarily think superwoman syndrome is like like a bad thing it sounds mad but if you're doing something that makes you happy and you feel like you're like a sharpening a new skill or exercising a muscle that's going to keep you like in top form then I think that's like worth celebrating it's definitely not a bad thing but you do you do end up apologising for it quite a lot. And you mm-hmm. you did in your article because you said before you think I'm being smug or overachieving. Um, and that is, I worry, I don't know if anyone else feels the same, but I worry that people will, I don't know, think that I am trying to outdo everyone else or I'm trying to be the better person. And it's, you know, I don't know if that's just a worry that I'm taking on myself. Yeah, there's a slight sense of kind of head girlishness exactly. about it. Exactly. Like, I've read it, I've seen it, I've done it, yeah. I've been there. I agree, I feel com- like very, very privileged and lucky that I can be a superwoman. Like I think that's like a great privileged position that I'm in. You're listening to She Said, a podcast from LUK. Visit luk.com forward slash podcasts to subscribe. we're just going to take a minute to talk about what we're into this week. It's something we do every day in the office. We're always comparing notes about what we're listening to and reading and watching. And so we're going to do the same thing on our podcast. Lottie, why don't you start? So I would like to endorse Aziz Ansari's Master of None, which is the most brilliant sitcom comedy show that I've watched on Netflix for ages. And I consumed it in about two sessions. And what I like about this show is that It's very funny, it's spot on, and it's very diverse. I just think it's really great. I'm 
actually naturally going to endorse my candle. I've been working on it really hard. It's just launched into Liberty and I just wanted to make something that I would want in my home and so I hope other people would want. But it's supposed to do all the things that I think a candle should do. Be really comforting and warming and look nice and smell nice. So go and buy one. Number 22 candles. Um, I'm going to endorse Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, Between the World and Me, which recently won a National Book Award in the States. And it's just a really beautifully written letter to his son. And it's exploring uh, the subject of race in America, which has been a really big subject in 2015, and one that has resonated especially strongly with me, being um, both black and American. And I just really love how beautifully written and evocative the piece is, but also just how thought-provoking it is. And in a way, game-changing, because it's just sparked a national dialogue in light of all the events we saw this past year with Black Lives Matter. I just think if anyone's like really wondering how to like engage with that subject and how to understand that whole movement and hashtag, then this is the book to read. Okay, so I'm going to recommend The Film Room. Uh, it's got Brie Larson in it. I'm hopeful that she's going to get an Oscar nomination. It's about a story about a woman who is locked into a room by her kidnapper and at the age of 17 and then spends I think nine years in that room and she has a son within that time and I thought it was going to be incredibly bleak and it obviously is in some ways but it's also very beautiful it's harrowing um, and wonderful and yeah it really really kind of captured me. On that note, we're going to wrap up this discussion. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Anne Friedman, for joining us. And for all of you listening, don't forget to pick up the January issue of Elle where you can read the story. You've been listening to She Said, the LUK podcast. Visit luk.com forward slash podcasts to subscribe. That was a Boom Shakalaka production for LUK. LUK.